And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT, as we begin another day on Raider Nation Radio. Really the first day for me for the offseason as we spent a couple of days recapping the Super Bowl. And now the offseason begins, and we pivot, and we cover the stories of the Raiders this offseason. And I have a feeling there's going to be several big ones. There's going to be some good ones. There's going to be some big ones. There's going to be some unexpected stories. Also, we're going to be able to round out the staff and be able to report on who's doing what with their certain jobs here. That's all happening, and it's all going to come together here in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. And our job is to keep you engaged on the flagship station of the Silver and Black. How do we do that? Well, we keep the phones open. We have the best guest in all of Raider Nation. We have good, strong topics. We cover other topics that are mainstream that we believe you want to hear and you want to comment on. And then when there's Raiders breaking news, we stop everything and we cover it. To me, this is one of the greatest off-seasons coming up of all time because the draft is in Vegas. And we lost the draft last year due to covid as they kicked the draft over to Cleveland and told Cleveland that you could have this small little draft because COVID's going on. We don't want to blow up Vegas. We know that Vegas needs to be big. We know that Vegas needs to be epic. And it was the best thing that could have happened. You know, I think about these best-case scenarios with the Raiders. When the Raiders lost out, when the Raiders knew they were leaving Oakland and they were looking at Carson with the Chargers and that didn't happen, And the Raiders went back to Oakland and then Vegas happened. That was a pretty unique scenario for the Raiders because now that we look back at Vegas, even though we love Oakland and L.A., you see what's happening in Vegas. Allegiant Stadium, the practice facility, the draft, the Super Bowl. Again, the Super Bowl, all because of the move to Vegas. So at times that looked like a very rough road. What would happen with the future of the silver and black? And they all ended up in Vegas, and it's pretty big. It's pretty big. As we, I think we all agree, it's really big. And the same thing goes with the draft. They could have found a way, the NFL, to give us the draft last year, and it would have been masks on and everybody in a tight little area, spread out, no one allowed to go, limited tickets. It would have been a mess. Best case scenario. They punted on Vegas, and they're giving it to us this year, where knock wood, if everything goes okay, we have the opportunity to have the biggest draft in NFL history, which would be iconic for this brand, this city, and it would probably be the biggest sporting event ever other than the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl is coming up. I'm talking the NFL draft in Vegas would be bigger than almost opening night for the Raiders without fans, opening Monday night against Baltimore, the Charger game that got the Raiders into the playoffs. Those have all gotten into the top 10 in Vegas history in a matter of, A year. But the draft is going to be really the big one because it's going to showcase the Raiders and Las Vegas and the reason why players would want to come here because they're going to be here. So I'm excited about that. That's really our focus until we find out what's going to happen in free agency, what players are going to be signed, what players are going to be released, and then who the Raiders are going to be hunting down and trying to bring in here as free agents to really get this thing going to a higher level. And I thought it was on pace to go to a pretty high level, but the Raiders wanted to take it to a higher level or a different level, in Mark Davis's opinion. And that's why he brought in the new coaches that he has now. And everybody's been able to debate that openly on this flagship station. Josh McDaniels, some of the hires that we've seen so far. Edgar Bennett, wide receivers coming back. Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator coming over from the Giants. Rob Ryan, friend of the show, who I got to know when he was with his first stint with the Raiders, senior defensive assistant, and some of the other names that are surfacing now. So that means there's a lot of news here that we're all not aware of, and we're waiting for these official announcements to know what direction the Raiders will go in with practice, what they think of the preseason, what they think of offseason workouts, all of this. There's a lot I want to figure out here. So we'll talk about that throughout the offseason. What I'd like to do today, as we open up the show, brought to you by Golden Entertainment. They own the Stratosphere, where music now is coming alive at the Strat. Sammy Hagar, Cheap Trick, big concerts there as they redid 
the old stratosphere and turned it into the strat. Arizona Charlie's, 64-plus taverns. The Laughlin Center, which is incredible, they fuel the monologue. We thank them for all the support they gave us as we were in L.A. for the Super Bowl. Today I want to talk about the John Madden ceremony from last night in Oakland. I know that we have loyal, hardcore Raider fans that listen to this show from noon to two who want to call in today and explain to me what that was about. And I loved Oakland. I really did, and I don't have to prove it to anybody. Anybody who saw me in Oakland knows I commuted for 17 years up there. I was in the black hole tailgate. I hung over the black hole. My name was on the black hole, and I was on the sidelines for years. I loved the experience in Oakland. And last night, from what I saw, I was kind of paying attention to it while I was on the air. But after I finished my show last night, I went and watched it. I watched the entire close to two hours on the YouTube stream, which is up at theraiders.com now and on the Raiders platform, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice tribute to Coach Madden at the Oakland Coliseum where we associate he and his family in Oakland at the Coliseum and the empire that he built in Pleasanton, California. And I saw a couple of people that were live streaming, Just Win Wendy, Raider Man, Gorilla Rilla, who I was texting back and forth with, and so many other people that were there that I wasn't aware of, and you probably went. And if you went, I'd like you to dominate the show today. We get another opportunity to talk about Oakland, an opportunity to talk about Coach Madden, and some of the speakers who spoke there, including Henry Lawrence, who I was at the Lee Steinberg party with on Saturday. And I could tell that he was nervous. He was willing, you know, he was going to go up there, sing, and be one of the first speakers. Ron Rivera, Andy Reid, who we'll get to, great friend of the show, Steve Mariucci. Everybody was associated with John Madden. So if you went up there and you were in Oakland, and if you watched it on TV or live streamed it, I want to hear from you today. That's a big moment in Raider history. That's the formal goodbye to the fans of John Madden. If you were fortunate enough to buy a ticket to help out a charity, you tailgated, you had a couple of Modellos, you sat out in the parking lot, you were able to have a reason to be with your friends again at the Coliseum, I want to hear those stories at 702-365-9200. What did it mean to you to be back in the Coliseum last night for one night and pay tribute to John Madden? Man, that looked cool. It really looked cool, and there were a lot of dignitaries there, but I care more about the fans because Coach Madden cared about you, the fans of Raider Nation. You loved him, and that was one final goodbye. John Madden's never going to go away. Never going to go away. The relationship that Mark and Carol Davis have with the Madden family is strong. And Coach Madden will be a big part of the history of the Raiders and his legacy will live on. But it just seemed like an event last night that came off well. And if you were there, tell us a couple of stories. Maybe maybe you talked to someone off the record. Maybe you got a chance to say something to Andy Reid and to enjoy the moment and have a good time. I think we should begin with Virginia Madden. Her comments on John Madden and his love for the silver and black. John believes in the town of Oakland. He believed in the Coliseum. Most of all, he believed in the Raiders. I believe in the Raiders. The the Oakland Raiders. (laughs) Oakland needs a football team. So that was Virginia Madden from last night at the Coliseum as the fans were out there to support her late husband, John Madden. Also, Steve Mariucci is a good friend. And I met Steve Mariucci a number of times, but it was the invitation that I got to Steve Mariucci with John Madden, the bocce ball tournament. Hosted my radio show from there one year. Good memories. Tony Bruno, 
guys around town. We'd be there. We'd have a couple of beverages. We'd host our radio show. And we'd see Coach Madden, who I did not know very well. I was an acquaintance of Coach Madden. But the times I shook his hands and the time I met him and the time I met him at Steve Mariucci's bocce ball tournament, that's an important memory to me. And Mooch takes this very seriously, his friendship with John Madden, and he was honored to speak about it. Very fitting, right? Um, For Raider fans, so many great moments and memories with all those games that had names and uh, so many wins. And and, uh, in the 70s, it was, uh, if if you weren't a Raider fan, then uh, maybe you were a Steeler fan, but it was a big rival, wasn't it? Yeah, so, so we're going back to the roots there. But think about it. You know, we just watched the Super Bowl with the very young coaches, what, 36- and 38-year-old head coaches in the Super Bowl, and John was in his 30s when he was coaching. That, that was John. And and uh, his relationship with his players was off the charts, and, of course, they won games, and he had characters, man. But the coach was a character, too. And so they all fit right in with each other. So it, this is uh, very fitting to have it right here at the Coliseum. That's courtesy of Vic Tafer from The Athletic, who got a one-on-one with Steve Mariucci, which is fantastic. So with all of that, what we've seen, also Mike Madden, John Madden's son, was just at the Super Bowl. I thought this was a great soundbite. And I was in SoFi Stadium yesterday. <laughs> but tonight I'm in a football stadium. Well, fans went crazy on that. So fans went nuts on that as he was... You're talking about the fact that Oakland is a real football stadium. And he was at SoFi, and that was just a nice way of saying, hey, this is Oakland. I thought he played to the crowd really well there. Then there was Andy Reid. Andy Reid, very interesting to me. It shows you how many friendships that John Madden had. And Andy Reid's going to the Hall of Fame now easily, easily with his overall wins, his Super Bowl, all the big games he coached in. And recently, you know, he's with Philadelphia for many years, but since he's come to Kansas City, it's a real rivalry with the Silver and Black. I'm glad I'm out of spinning distance. It's great to be in the black hole. I'm glad I'm not at spinning distance. Andy Reid would maybe the soundbite of the evening. More from Andy Reid paying tribute to John Madden. Go shot me to appreciate... Every day, every game, every play of every game. He taught me not to back off what I knew would be the best for the National Football League. Taught me that coaches weren't the hamburger flippers in the National Football League. That we had a voice, and if properly presented, people would listen. I got to work hand in hand with a great coach, John Madden, and it was an honor. Nicely said by Andy Reid. You got to have a lot of respect for Andy Reid for coming up there and being there live. And then the video tributes that I saw from Peyton Manning, Jim Nance. Jim Nance was excellent from the Monterey Peninsula. And then the big one from Brett Favre. And there were friends of his that he worked with on radio and TV, Leslie Visser. Leslie Visser was up there, told a great story about the Madden bus as she was in New York City with 15 girls, her girlfriends, pulled up to the Dakota where John Madden was staying. That's where John Lennon also lived. And John Madden came out and poured every one of the ladies a shot of Jack Daniels. And as the bus pulled away, he screamed, if you can't get lucky in the bus, meaning he gave them the bus to run around and go to all the bars in New York City. That was a great story from Leslie Visser. So when I watched it last night, I had a smile. And I was happy for my friends in Oakland who were able to go there. And it meant a lot to me that Raider Nation showed up there because these are great fans and they're loyal. And Raider Man starts us off because I got a lot of the video and audio from what I saw last night at home from you. you. Raider Man, how cool was that last night? Oh, man, JT. You're talking about incredible. I got goosebumps when you brought it up right now. Like, I wasn't even there. It's like I'm living the feeling all over again, man. It brought back so many memories. The word nostalgia doesn't even encapsulate it. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm thinking about the people that we grew up with, from God rest his soul, Black Hole Rob, you know, to my brother, man, and my cool, I call my mentor, Raider Rob, you know, to you coming to stomp the ground with us, meeting the folks in the Black Hole there, everybody. Even bumped into Blitz Chick and hung out with 
little blitz last night, man. But I mean, like when I got into the gates, you know me, I'm always on a fellowship mission. So I, I got in there, and I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know if you saw it or not, but I even posted a little bit of it on live because God bless me with opportunity to have little tidbits of conversation with some of these iconic coaches. And I knew Andy Reid was going to get the business. And so I just I couldn't see him having to grow through something like that on the evening as such, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Coach Madden wouldn't even allow him to suffer that kind of thing, that, that kind of treachery. So, you know, I made sure I reached out to Coach Andy Reid and showed a little bit of respect and whatnot. And it was kind of cool. I actually got him on the Facebook, uh, I think they call it Facebook Live, where he yep. said, Raider Man yep. treated me nice. I thought that was cool just to acknowledge me personally. But, I mean, it's like so many esteemed people out there with so many different ways that they've impacted this world of football and the world, you know, in general in a lot of ways through football. But they all have they all they had to come and pay homage to this man and I, I could not I, I don't know how I would have been able to live with myself to not beat. I'm not trying to rub it in anybody's face. You know, not Georgia particularly it's just you know, it's just like man, I, I I'm thankful for my wife because I'm calling her <laughs> Queen Virginia Madden. Man, that lady got in there and set that place on fire. Dude, I mean, I, it's been so long since I felt like I wanted to come run through a wall like Madden used to do for the Miller Light commercials. But, I mean, I, all I could think of was this woman standing there representing such an iconic man and to think to my wife, who on Valentine's Day, where I'm supposed to be putting her kitchen back together because I'm holding a promise of my own in my own household, she literally forces me out the door to go and be able to pay homage to this great man, the understanding like of a woman like and had a strength to do that for me. That just show love, bro. And I'm just like, I, I just want to give all the kudos to the, to the Madden family. Shouts out to the Queen of Virginia. Shouts out to Mike. That was an outstanding job he did up there on the mic representing his brothers and his sisters and the grandkids and the family, man. And, and I hate to be rambling, but it's like there's not enough words in the world that I can speak to, to, to exhibit the, the true respect that I have for Coach Madden. And I pray yeah. that he'd rest yeah. in peace. God rest, Coach. Thanks for Thank you, man. Appreciate it, Raider, man. Thanks for calling in. It was good to see, you know, following you on Facebook Live to see some of that. It was really good footage and getting down there with Gorilla Rilla. You know, I knew when I put the show together this week with Bobby, we knew we'd have two days or a day of Super Bowl recap, but we would have a hopefully a full show today with some people who went to that and people who watched it who can get this going. This is a good day of Raider content. There are going to be days where there is no Raider content other than fake topics about who do you think is going to get traded and it's going to mean nothing because the person's not going to get traded. He's not going to come here. I'm not going to do those shows. Doing this long enough where when we have Raider content like this, this is gold. This is Raider fans in Oakland at the Coliseum saying goodbye to John Madden. I mean, this is the stuff you talk about for two hours if you have a chance to talk to people who actually went. So we want to hear from the people who went or the people who watched it on YouTube. And if you watched it on uh, Raiders.com, and it had an impact on you, and did you feel like you were saying goodbye to John Madden? Did you feel like this was the perfect, appropriate way for you to go pay respects? And did you walk into the Coliseum and out of the Coliseum feeling great about it? 702-365-9200. Those are tough. You know, those are really tough events. I went to Al Davis's funeral. I was inside, inside the temple for that. Life-changing for me. I went to Bill Walsh's funeral. Lucky. Got an invite through a friend who had a plus one. Went to that. And I remember walking out of those events saying, oh, my God, I can't believe the impact that these events had on me. And I wish I could have been up there with the travel for Coach Madden, but the people who went. Henry Lawrence, killer. Henry Lawrence, to have the courage in a massive coliseum to sing and then to get in there and get emotional about his lowest moment in his life in football when he wasn't talking with Coach Madden. And then they went and talked it out and how Henry said that throughout life, build those bridges of communication, apologize, do the right thing. I was very impressed by that because when I saw Henry Saturday afternoon and I knew he was going there Monday, I could tell it was weighing heavy on him that he had to speak in front of a crowd like that and speak about someone he loved. Speak about someone he loved. And I, I really like Brett Favre. It was something new with Brett Favre as Brett Favre talked about the friendship that he had. Looking back in the history of the Raiders rivalries, I was talking about this with my dad this morning because my dad knows someone who knows Phil Villapiano, and I'm trying to connect my dad and his friend to Phil uh, down the road when my dad's in New Jersey this summer. And Franco Harris and Phil Villapiano were both a part of the Immaculate Reception. Those in the Raider Nation call it the Immaculate Deception. And I was explaining to my dad how Phil got clipped on that play 
and Phil would have tackled Franco easily. Phil was one of the best linebackers in football. You know, a guy who should be nominated for the Hall of Fame. That's how good Phil was. And Phil would have got to Franco, but he was clipped. I was explaining that play to my dad, who's 83, and he was around for that. And Franco Harris got inducted into the Black Hole Hall of Fame because of Phil. And then you see Andy Reid there last night, and even though Raider fans want to beat him every time they play, you saw the respect that Andy Reid had for the Raiders by saying it was good to be at the Black Hole. I thought that was very cool. And to hear Jim Nance, but Brett Favre's different. Brett Favre had the most important and greatest game, I think bigger, he said, than the Super Bowl that he won in the Oakland Coliseum. And then Brett Favre had an amazing relationship with Coach Madden. And then looking back at the documentary, the fact that Coach Madden was on the call in the broadcast booth for Brett Favre's game, and that was tied all together. You could, you could really tell that Brett Favre had this fascination and respect for John Madden, and it had a big effect on his life as a football player. As you watch the Madden documentary on Christmas Day, you realize when Lawrence Taylor, who's my favorite player of all time, you know, non-Raider, it's Lawrence Taylor. Fred Bolitnikoff is a Raider. And when Lawrence Taylor started off that documentary and ended it, and he said that he became the, pl- the player he is because of John Madden, that almost knocked me out of my chair on Christmas Day. That was like a really mind-blowing moment when Lawrence Taylor's telling you when John Madden was calling his games. John Madden put him on the map, and Lawrence Taylor helped put John Madden on the map. And the amount of respect that Coach Madden got last night was fantastic. So again, open lines if you went to it. If you didn't go and you watched it, a good day to get some John Madden stories in. We got a couple of good guests, Chris Myers from the NFL on Fox Paul Gutierrez is going to join us coming up here in about 10 minutes. Uh, Paul wants, I want to talk to Paul about Cliff Ranch as Cliff got into the Hall of Fame. And that'll be a big-time summer event. And Paul's covering the Raiders as good as anybody. Uh, Scott Kaplan, my good friend from ESPN in L.A., will recap the Super Bowl and how L.A. pulled it off. And other than that, we just want to get into John Madden if you went to the event last night. And I would be very disappointed with the large streaming numbers we have in the Bay Area and the amount of people that listen that we know of in the Bay Area, don't step up for this one. Because this is not, we're never going to close the door on Coach Madden. But today's the day that we should kick it wide open and talk about him again if you went to that event and it really moved you. It, it moved me and I just watched it on YouTube. My wife and I were looking at it and like, wow, this looks pretty cool. And it's just nice. There's no closure. It wasn't about closure. It, had nothing to, it was all about Coach Madden and the people who had something to say about him, and broadcasters, journalists, coaches, players. And, man, there's not going to be another one. There's going to be coaches that have better records and coaches that have won more Super Bowls. We know that. But there's never going to be another John Madden. And for the Raider fans that knew him, the Raider fans that were growing up at that time when Coach Madden was winning and coaching, for the fans that love John Madden as a broadcaster, I'm one of those. And then those who played the video game and know about the video game empire that he built. You know, all that was covered last night, and really cool. It's nice that when you go out, whenever your day comes, if you're respected and loved by most of the people that you care about who know you, you can't affect strangers. If they never met you, they're not going to know who you are. But John Madden had it all. He had the strangers who never met him that loved him, and he had the people that knew him well who all loved him. I mean, it's, it, that's very difficult to do in life. You know, especially in this world that we live in now with Twitter and social media and everybody's got something bad to say about someone they never met and everybody's, you know, taking shots. Would John Madden have been able to exist in the Twitter era? Yeah. (laughs) Everybody liked Coach Madden. Uh, If Coach Madden, Coach Madden could could exist in any era in sports history. And last night was a celebration. Chris, in West Oakland, not too far from the Coliseum. Yeah, JT, I was really disappointed. We had a game last night. I couldn't attend. I wanted to. I actually have a couple of friends that are part of our tailgate group flew in from Memphis last night just to be at that. And it was, I saw it on the news. I saw some of the clips. It's really special. By the way, what you say about Villapiano is so correct. I mean, of all the X Raiders to this day, when I see come on a show or interviewed about anything, Villapiano is hands down my favorite. And, and a quick side note about Brett Favre and that night, as you know, I was there in that stadium there. 
Brett Favre is one of only two players, and I've attended every Raider home game except one since 1972 in Oakland. Only two players have ever gotten a standing ovation when introduced for pregame warm-ups. 1980 wildcard game when Kenny Stabler came back, he got a huge ovation, and Brett Favre. It just shows, you know, the Oakland fans, we respected. We also knew where the line, some things are more important than football. And I've always loved hearing Favre tell the story about that night and about Coach Madden. But I think it's so cool that the NFL had Madden's family. It's a shame, kind of like Cliff Branch, when some of these guys die, it takes their death to remember how great they were. That's the saddest thing for me about John Madden. He waited so long to get in the Hall of Fame. And there's not one, JT, but there's two generations of people that don't know that this guy is one of the greatest football coaches of all time. Nine Hall of Famers he coached against and a winning record against every single one of them. Again, I got friends that went last night. I'm glad you're, you know, you're bringing it up one last time today because I don't think we can honor Coach Madden enough. And the best thing I can say about John Madden, it started in Oakland. He was ours. We loaned him to everybody else. John Madden was a national treasure. And, again, the likes of we might never see before. And what I saw last night just on TV brought a tear to my eye. And I'm glad Coach Madden's memory is being brought up, even though it's been in his death. Thanks for letting me say one yep. last word about one of the greatest coaches we'll ever see and probably even a greater human being. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Always great to hear from Chris. Die hard. I grew up in that era, no doubt about that. And the, the other coaches – Again, I'm fascinated by two really big things in football, legacy and coaching trees, so much so that I have a notebook and I write down coaching trees. You know, John Gruden is the coaching tree for the guy who just won the Super Bowl, Sean McVay. Now, you would say his dad. You can go down that road, but no, John Gruden gave Sean McVay his break in Tampa and then all the other people underneath that. The coaching tree for John Madden is pretty strong, but it goes through Al Davis, who was a coach. So when you look at Al Davis as the coach, who was a coach, and then John Madden underneath him, Flores, and the names that came out, the assistant coaches that went on to greatness, to me the most impressive thing about John Madden's tree are the broadcasters. Football's unbelievable. He's got the players. They're in the Hall of Fame. We know that. But Al Davis was above that. Al Davis made John Madden a coach. So you got to go to Mr. Davis when it comes to broadcasting. That's all Madden. All the broadcasters who we live and love come under that Madden tree, which I don't even know where to begin with it. The producers, the network, the network presidents, the network vice presidents. What a legacy. As we said when Coach Madden died, there'll never be another one like him. The monologue brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. When we're talking X's and O's and the life of John Madden, it's with the Remy Martin cocktail. Paul Gutierrez on the legacy of Cliff Branch. Coming up in the big announcement that happened last Thursday night as we continue on Raider Nation Radio. Here's another different formation. Barnwell and Branch to the left and Allen was split to the right. And it's Branch for touchdown. Anthony Washington, the defender. That was a quick move he made here. Yes, sir. Watch Plunkett. He sees him right now. He says, I got him. Right over there and drill it in there to Cliff Branch wide open. How cool is that? A Super Bowl call with John Madden, with Cliff Branch, one of his favorite players, who's going to get into the Hall of Fame this summer with John Madden. Great job, Bobby, with that sound. Tremendous. We're, uh, today's a big day for me. 24 years ago tonight, I met my wife randomly at the Hard Rock Center Bar at the Stone. So we'll be playing the Stones the rest of the show 24 years ago today, which is at my actual anniversary, even though I didn't get married on that day. If that day doesn't happen, there is no wedding. There are no kids. So thanks again to Keith, who's still with us, and Mick. Paul Gutierrez is always with us, and... Paul, a lot to get to here. I want to start off before we get to Cliff. What you thought of the Madden event last night, and clearly a lot of great legends came together in Oakland, the proper place to do it. Yeah, JT, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's interesting. I heard you say it was 24 years ago today. Well, I, I got engaged 22 years ago yesterday, so wow. it's amazing how fast times fly. 
uh, how fast time flies for 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 uh, everybody, right? But but yeah, and especially when you're talking about the Raiders and and John Madden and and unfortunately I wasn't able to attend in person, but I, I definitely kept tabs on it through social media and, and on television as well. And and it was great for them to be able to do it. And there was a lot of symbolism in it too. They they had to do it in Oakland. They had to do it at the Coliseum. And oh yeah, they did it on the Monday when the Raiders uh, were the kings of Monday Night Football. And there was a lot of symbolism that happened there. And and uh, it was a great way for Oakland fans to be able to go out there and pay their just respects and due respects to uh, you know one of the faces of the franchise. And it's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of Raider legends and and uh, Raider history. Nicely said, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Let's go to Cliff and what you thought about, you know, we had an idea that he was going to get in. It would have been a complete travesty if they put him by himself and he didn't get in. Coach Vermeil got in. When did you at least breathe easy as a lifelong Raider fan and a friend of Cliff when you got the news and what was your instant emotions? Uh, you know, when did you breathe easy? When you actually see his sister walking on the stage. Now, I had been sworn to secrecy the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you got to be ready, right? So, you know, little bit of a look behind the curtain here the story that i wrote on espn.com i actually wrote the bones of that two years ago thinking that he was going to get in on the centennial committee which was the right thing to do but they chose harold carmichael then they chose drew pearson and then when he came up as the senior candidate it's like a 95 percent shot to get in i think only one or two guys haven't got in on that ballot since they started doing that so you know you you talk to the family you talk to mark davis who told me in the story you know what And, and we all knew this that was his best friend um, and, and, you know, I had my own relationship with Cliff. I still have texts from him that he would send me just randomly. Uh, the funniest one I, I thought that Raider fans would get a kick out of, 49er fans, maybe not so much, but he sent me a picture of a man spanking a child and said that uh, on Father's Day, real fathers raise their sons to be, uh, raise their children to be Raider fans. And the, the kid was wearing 49er gear that was getting spanked. So, <laughs> yeah, he had a good, a good, feel about him that smile that effervescent energy that anytime he was around anybody just lit up a room and you know i i got to know him and got to meet him later in his life obviously but um so many things around the stories that i've written around the raiders whether it was talking to him about uh the immaculate reception or the sea of hands or the holy roller he was always one of my go-tos because he was there he was living history and then when you start crunching the numbers and look i don't think anybody put it any better than mark davis was he literally changed the way the game is played today, and his influence is still felt because every team in the NFL still needs that speedy wide receiver that's not just a track star but can catch the ball. And as you know and I know, Al Davis spent the last quarter century of his life looking for the next Cliff Branch. Paul Gutierrez is our guest. Paul, you as a journalist, myself as a sports talk host, we've covered this story forever, and I really think it's time to put the bitterness behind a lot of fans are really bitter, and that's natural because Cliff should have been in when he was alive. Coach Flores was alive. The snake wasn't. And there are plenty of other names, Lester Hayes, Jim Plunkett, that we're expecting someday to get in. But when it comes to Cliff, I knew Cliff well, and I would think that Cliff would want a big party and a lot of people smiling, a lot of people happy, and to put all their animosity behind them over the years because he didn't get in. Now, during that time, I talked to Cliff about it on and off the air, and he wanted in. And he wanted to be with his teammates more so than he wanted that acknowledgement. He wanted to be in that hall because his teammates were all in there. Casper, all the guys that he practiced and played with, his mentor, Bolitnikov. So I think Raider fans should really pivot now and make this a summer of Cliff Branch. Yeah, and, and that's all obviously easier said than done, but, but you're absolutely right. Cliff, Cliff, that's the way Cliff would want it uh, in talking with him. And, and it kind of goes back to this, and, and this to me, is what Cliff really represented in terms of being the team player. Of course, he wanted the, the, to be recognized. Of course, he wanted to get in. Um, but you know, this goes back to when they first announced that they were going to do that centennial class. And Cliff was on that list. Uh, Tom Flores was on that list. Cliff called Tom and told him, Coach, you're in, you're in, you're finally in. They're putting you in the coach's category. And Tom's response to him was, no, Clifford, we're both in. So that was the, the high and the low of, of neither one of those guys getting in in the same class. But then, you know, you make right with what, what once was made wrong in the, the previous two years, the, the next two years, and, and you kind of go from there. So, and it goes back to that because, you know, when, when Cliff passed away, um, you know, two days after his birthday a couple of years ago, he had just texted, uh, you know, with Tom Flores again, congratulating him on, on being named to that centennial list. And, 
and Tom was at the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies for as a guest of Kevin Mawai, got a text from Marcus Allen, said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a call back when there's a break in the, in the presentation, called him back, and that's when Tom got the news that Cliff had passed away. And, um, you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's a celebration. In speaking with his sister, Elaine Anderson, it's, it's just the, the epitome of bittersweet. And, and that's kind of the way I tried to capture the moment in the story I wrote. Paul Gutierrez, as we wrap it up. Paul, it's just obvious, other than the legends who played in the 70s and the 80s, we had a caller yesterday, Chris, talk about Greg Townsend, who had better numbers than Howie Long. Maybe not, you know, you could debate who had a bigger impact. Lester Hayes, who I think should have been in a long time ago. We mentioned Plunkett. There are other names of players who are worthy. Eric Allen, my partner on the pre- and post-game, 54 yeah. career interceptions, nine defensive touchdowns. He's not getting an invite to be a semifinalist. He is a semifinalist, but it feels like this one's really important. Because Cliff keeps the conversation alive of Raiders in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now that Woodson's in, Gannon's not going to get in, Tim Brown's in. There's going to be a void, maybe a 20-year void, of modern-day Raiders who are just not going to get in. So I think this is an important moment, and it'll line up other people to start talking about Plunkett again and Lester Hayes, the two at the top of that list. Yeah, and, and I did a, you know, as unscientific as Twitter is, I, I did a Twitter poll asking, you know, now that Cliff is in, which of these next four guys should be first? And it was Jim Plunkett was the runaway winner. Mm-hmm. And again, it's people that follow me on Twitter for, for my takes, right, and for Raider News. But Jim had over 55% of the vote. Uh, a distant second was Lester. Todd Christensen was uh, way back in, in third, and then he was just above uh, Wiz. Steve was new. Yeah, I love Wiz. And, uh you know, so they, and then I'm like, and then right off there you go. What about Dave Dalby? He was on all three, you know, mm-hmm. Raider championship teams. What about Jack Tatum? What about this guy? What about that guy? What about the guys in the AFL? Clem Daniels, who was the second leading rusher in the AFL, if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not the leading rusher. Uh, you know, guys that that uh, broke down walls as as uh, civil rights activists in the '60s when they wouldn't play uh, in certain stadiums because they were segregated. There's there's so much more history that's out there to be discovered, written about, read about, talked about, that, uh, yeah, the, the list will go on and on and on, and for good reason. And that's what's so fun about this is you can talk to 31 other teams, or maybe not 31, let's say 15 other teams that have just as much history, if not uh, the same, that, that could make the same arguments for, hey, our guys are getting hosed, they should be in here and there and the other. It's just a very interesting thing here. And, and oh, yeah, Richard Seymour is just a Raider, too, because mm-hmm. what's that saying? Yeah. Once a Raider, always a Raider. He's number 30. There's 30 Raiders, 30 Hall of Famers recognized by the Raiders. That, that's pretty impressive, and yet you still feel like there's, there's other guys that, that deserve their shine, too. Yeah, I give, the best example I could give you is Ron Mix. Played his whole great career with the Chargers, yeah. a Hall of Famer, but he played a year with the Raiders, and it was very important, and his name is up there in Allegiant Stadium. Uh, Paul, last one, as the buildup comes, I had a Hall of Famer tell me off the, off the record that He's the best name in this class. I was like, what do you mean? They go, well, nothing against this class. These guys are Hall of Famers, but it doesn't pop the way we were just at the last one. And I kind of agree. I think there are worthy Hall of Famers. You mentioned Richard Seymour, Leroy Butler, Tony Baselli. But Cliff Branch is the most deserving name on that list. And I hope Raider Nation understands that when they look to plan to get to Canton. Cliff's not there as an add-on. Clips the name with the biggest pop, and we got to make sure he understands that when he hears the roar of the crowd up in heaven. Yeah, and, and that's what's interesting is is he obviously went in as a senior candidate, but when they announced all the names, he's right smack dab in the middle of it. And I don't know if that was by design or, or what it was, but you know, Dick Vermeil gets in as a coach the same way that Tom did the year before. Um, you're absolutely right when you when you look at the names there. What name pops, especially for Raider fans? Well, obviously it's going to be Cliff, but. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's a strange class. It's an interesting class. And I was told that the night before. Hey, don't be surprised when you see a, a class that you're going to be like, huh, what? Wait a minute. And the fact that Cliff was the only receiver to get in, granted he's not a modern-era candidate, but the only receiver in this class, that speaks volumes as yeah. well. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Great column, great work. See you over the offseason. Sounds good. Talk to you then. You got it. Paul Gutierrez wrote a great piece on Cliff Branch. Go find it at ESPN, ESPN.com. Just win Wendy, kind enough to join us. She went to the Mad Memorial. How are you, Wendy? Hey, I'm I'm great. But, um, yeah, I'm so glad to, to be able to call in. I got a new job, so it's hard. But 
I um, I got there last night and I parked in a lot because that's where I used to park in the old days. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to turn around, or I was talking to some people in the parking lot. Some people had chairs out, they're drinking beers and stuff. And somebody goes, "Hey, Wendy!" I turn around, it's it's my crowd from Vegas that I just met this fall. They're you know three rows back, so I got to see all of them: the OG Lucille, Daryl, and Raider Man, and it was just great. So I got to, it was just, you know, Raider Nation magic that we all got together. So then I go um, inside and I had to wipe away tears. I seriously had to stop myself from crying when I saw the field. And um, sorry. So, you know, there's just so much emotion around the Oakland Coliseum and, you know, those old stairs that are all chipped and, you know, walking down there and I found my seat. I was sitting right behind the dugout, but right in front of the stage. And, uh, and then all the people, all the dignitaries came in. They're all like football royalty, Raider royalty. And I didn't recognize everyone. And I was, just taking a bunch of pictures because I thought, well, other people are going to be able to recognize all Mm -hmm. the people that were sitting down on the field because there was all the chairs on the field for the guests. And then when the speakers started, that was just awesome. It was wonderful to hear Coach Rivera. He was so inspiring and his stories about his friendship with John. And Mm -hmm. then, of course, Mooch is Mooch. You know, no matter where you go, He's always the same, and he was so funny and so fun. And um, when Andy Reid got up, I I know there were some people that booed, but really it wasn't the whole place. It's just that booze carry. Right. <laughs> so um, Andy Reid spoke from the heart. Mm-hmm. He had to stop a couple of times because he he was emotional about his friend John, and and he was also he also told a couple of funny stories, but I really felt great about all of them. And then when Leslie Vischer mm-hmm. talked about being one of the first right. female sportscasters, and it was so inspiring to hear her, too. So, Wendy, I got to run, but I got, I'm out of time, but fantastic that you fantastic. went and you called in. Thank you. And I always see Wendy. She comes to the torch for the pregame show at Allegiant Stadium. It was really cool, and I tweeted that last night to see so many good friends, including Wendy. Up at the Mad Memorial. Jeff Sherman, a recap of Super Bowl betting. How'd you do? How'd you really do next? You know, Stafford and I have spent a ton of time together. Just the extra time outside of the obligatory time was, you know, north of 500 hours this, this season. And so you spend that much time together just being able to talk football, talk about the preparation. You know, you get in those moments and, you know, it just becomes second nature. Cooper Cup as we continue the MVP of the Super Bowl. JT, back with you as... We take a couple of days and we recap the Super Bowl. Joining us from the Westgate Superbook, the VP uh, of Risk Management, our friend Jeff Sherman joins us. All right, Jeff, where do you want to begin? Because your mind must now hopefully be relaxing a little bit. Take us through Super Bowl Sunday, the liability that you had at the Westgate, and how the game opened up initially where it looked like the Rams were going to run away with it out of the gate. Yeah, we uh, we were sitting at four in the morning Rams minus four and saw some sharp play minus four and pretty much settled at minus four and a half with a total of 48 and a half. And that's where we closed at. And we did see a lot of over the course of the two weeks, a lot of Bengal support from some of our house guests. Uh, So we had some liability on the Bengals here, a little bit different than the city, but then as a game, you get into watching the game. And like you said, up until Beckham got injured. It looks like the Rams were controlling everything on both sides of the ball. Uh, but then that changed the complexion of the game. And, you know, when we got to halftime and the Rams were up three, we had the Rams minus a half second half, but saw Bengals money. So there were still people after what they'd seen minus Beckham that were interested in Cincinnati at that point. Why do you think initially it never got to five and there was more, not more support on the Rams, the L.A. team, the bigger team? Most people thought the deeper and more experienced roster with the more experienced coach who coached in the Super Bowl. Why do you think it landed between four and then four and a half and it didn't get to five? 
Well, we didn't see the large Rams wagers that we were expecting to see, especially with our proximity to L.A. They just really didn't show up. Uh, so if a place did get to five, it was quickly taken back, and there was really no need to go any higher because there was plenty of Cincinnati support weighing it down. Jeff Sherman joins us from the Westgate. So when the game, when you got to in-game, and especially when we came back into the second half, and then that controversial touchdown by T. Higgins, 75 yards, what changed in your mind as you were looking at the in-game and it looked like Cincinnati was taking control? It did, but in the second half, you saw the Higgins play. And, you know, obviously some people thought that there should have been a a call on that play. Mm -hmm. But outside of that play for Cincinnati, they really didn't do much in the second half. So even though they got up by that point, we still saw Rams support on the end play. And then they got to the point where the Rams weren't doing much either, except they had that final drive that won them the game that really, uh, you know, they had an opportunity to do that more. But they settled in and got it done when they needed to. What could Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. have done with the prop bet market? With that early start to the game before he got injured, what was he on pace to do? Clearly, if people were putting money on Odell Beckham with touchdowns and yards and catches overall, it looked like he was going to shatter that. Yeah, I mean, he ended up with 52 yards, and his over-under was 62.5, so he was well on pace to go over. Uh, And, you know, we had liability on him for the first touchdown score of the game at 7.5 to 1, so the betters cashed out with that. So there was definitely a lot of uh, support for Beckham in the game. Will he score a touchdown? A lot of yes at a small plus. I believe it closed plus 110 after opening plus 150. So uh, a lot of pro Beckham support, and it's just too bad what happened. What do you think happened to Joe Mixon in that game? Zach Taylor's getting a lot of heat as they got away from him on that critical third and one, and he just didn't seem to be on the field, or he wasn't a focus of the offense in critical times for the Bengals. Yeah, it's just interesting on the play-calling aspect, and we saw it with the 49ers game with Debo Samuel getting taken out of it, and here you see it with Mixon. So just some questionable play-calling, and you know, the last two plays, the third down and the fourth down where the uh, the Rams stopped him at the end of the game, it, it seemed like it felt like the Rams were going to stop him on those plays with what was being called. Jeff Sherman, VP of Risk Management at the Westgate. Walk me through the prop bets for the quarterbacks and how the quarterbacks played in your mind, especially Matthew Stafford there. If he doesn't score on that 15-play, 75-yard drive, he loses that game, and a lot of people had him going over a lot of the prop bets where he was at that time. Yeah, there's no doubt, and they were betting him over touchdown passes. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of pro support on the Stafford side and on the Burrow side. There was a lot of under support on his touchdown passes, and, and uh, the Sharps really against Burrow. So, um, you know, we, we saw a lot of two way, though, when it came down to it come Sunday, and a lot of great prop support on Sunday. What about some of those fun prop bets you had with golf, the NBA, other sports, hockey, and how they played off? If you can give us two or three of them that were fun and the results of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the soccer ones, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because one of them we had Memphis to pay on Barcelona, and he ended up not playing. So, we had a few refunds on those, a couple golfers that missed the cut. But, you know, the winning score for the Phoenix Open, we had that one involved and um, a, a few others, too. But, uh, you know, usually don't see too much action on those other than sharp play. It's really concentrated on the, the main props, the over-unders. Will guys score yes-no? Jeff Sherman's our guest as we wrap it up. Take me through what happened after the Rams uh, fumbled the extra point and how that affected everybody, especially the total of this game, what was happening with the Rams trying to cover all on that one play. What went through your mind when you saw that snap get buffed? Well, it's crazy how many things happened because we had the props up. Will there be a two-point conversion attempt? And that turned it into a yes right there. A lot of people thinking that was a missed extra point because of the way it played out. But Gay was two for two on extra points, so it turned it into the two-point conversion attempt, which the public bet the yes on. So that was the first thing. Then you look at the first half line on the Rams – Minus three, if they had gotten that, they would have covered the first half line. Same thing with the total at 23-and-a-half, would have put it over. So there were so many things in play based on that play. What about MVP, Cooper Cup? I thought uh, I thought Darnold should have got it. I thought he was a more impactful player, but Cup was on that final drive and ended up with two touchdowns. But Aaron Donald was the beast there. What would he have paid out there? And what, what about Coop, uh, Cooper Cup cashing that? Because I know a lot of fans had that, too, if it wasn't Stafford. Yeah, we had Cup at 6-1, to one, and there was moderate support, so it was mm-hmm. a good result for us. And uh, Aaron Donald, he went from 18-1 to one down to 10-1. to one. Von Miller, too, who had a great game, he went from 40-25. to 25, So we had a lot of liability on those two defensive players had they uh, come in. Like you said, there really could have been a case made for Donald. 
doing what you do for a living, what was your takeaway with the play of Cincinnati and that offensive line and Joe Burrow? Because I don't think they're going to get back because they got to go through Buffalo and Mahomes again, and I think they could do that every so often, but they're not going to consistently do that. No way in hell. And there's a lot of other teams that are going to be the next Cincinnati. A disappointing result for Burrow, and I think most of the blame's got to go to that offensive line, Jeff. Yeah, and that's what we saw in the Tennessee game, as many sacks as they given up, and that was very popular. The Rams' defense, over two and a half, it went up to three and a half sacks, and that was an easy winner for the public. And another one we had liability on was over five sacks, which closed five and a half. So uh, you see the weakness, a glaring weakness, and that's definitely the, the area that they need the most improvement on that team. And like you said, as far as next year, you know we have the Bengals at 20 to 1, where we have Buffalo at 7 and Kansas City at 8. So quite a distance between them. And I know there's a, a little bit less on the market, but we believe exactly the point that you said, how tough it's going to have to go through the AFC next year. So leave us one team that you posted and had to change the number on the odds on because uh, the Sharps pounced on it when you posted it for next year. Well, immediately from a Sharp perspective, we saw money on the Chargers from 20 down to 16. Mm. And one that we haven't moved but we're taking a lot of money on is Tampa at 50 to 1 just because of the noise out there as far as Brady's replacement. They're saying that they're interested in Russell Wilson, they're interested in Deshaun Watson, so there's just noise out there that Tampa wants to have a replacement quarterback, so they're seeing money at 50-1. to Last one, anything changed on the NBA heading into the All-Star break? The Harden-Simmons trade, a blockbuster. How did that affect NBA future odds? Yeah, I mean, I had the Sixers at 20-1 to for a while, and with the anticipation of the news that the trade might happen, I lowered them to 14, and after the trade, I went down to 7-1. to Now he's them back out to 7.5-1, to but the Sixers are right there, the same odds as the Bucks at seven and a half to one. Uh, the Nets, I had to ease all the way out to ten to one because they have a lot of variability uh, variables in play here with the Kyrie Irving status. When Simmons coming back, his end of a game status as far as they're probably going to play Hack Ben Simmons, and he might not be available at the end of the game. So I went ten to one on the Nets, but I've seen a lot of sharp play down to six and a half to one. Great recap, as always. Jeff Sherman, Westgate, VP of Risk Management. Thanks for everything this football season, Jeff. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks, JT. You got it. There it is, a recap of the Super Bowl, the betting odds, and how this played out, where the support was. I was surprised it didn't get to five and then come down to four and a half at the Westgate. And if you bet the Rams to win outright, one.